Hey, this is Ken at Capital Vintage Tutoring. It's my job to get you past the Series 63 exam. Now, you've just passed the 7. Most of you probably just passed the 7 or the Series 6, and you're going into the 63. And it's a totally different animal. It is way different than the other exams because it's a regs, a regulations, and ethics. And that's the thing. Remember something. Everyone just focus on their regulations, but it's also ethics and prohibited activities. That's a big deal. So when you want to study for the 63, I'm going to go through definitions and little examples of stuff. And then I'm going to tell you how to study for it. So I think I'm going to lead with that. I'm going to start off with how do you study for the 63? So remember, the 63 is a law exam. It's for the states. Once you take it, you're good in most states. Not every state requires it. But it's not like the life and health where you have to take one in every state. It's a template. It's like a blue, the blue sky laws. Whenever you hear blue sky laws, think states. And we'll get into that. So you're going to hear from everyone else, oh, the 63 is so much easier than the than the other exams, which in general is probably true. But if you go in there with that, that attitude, you're going to fail. So I tell everyone, if you go in easy, it's a hard test. But if you go hard, it's an easy test. What I mean by hard is go at it hard. Study at for it like you're studying for the 7 or the 6 or the, or the SIE, the other exams you attacked. Hard. Read. So this is what I say. This is the one exam that I'm a fan of taking a lot of tests because you got to get used to the wording. And if you can get multiple vendors, even better. I'm not telling you to write checks. I'm just saying multiple vendor questions always helps. Read the book once, whether it's STC or Achievable or Kaplan or Notman or whatever, or even Past Perfect. Read the book straight through one time, one full time. And if you have time, do it again. It's Don't take a lot of notes. You're not going to remember everything. Then what you're going to do is then start taking chapter quizzes, right? Chapter quizzes, bang them out, get through them, anything under 70, maybe reread the section, whatever it is. Once you're done with that, you got to take one or two finals every day. You And you have to get yourself down to an hour. You can even, if you do two a day, do the first one with question answers on after, and then the other one clean without answers showing up, and then review it after. You want to get yourself down to about an hour or less, not 30 minutes. That's too fast. About an hour. You want to get it down to about an hour to take this, the, the, the practice exams, because you don't get a lot of time on the real exam and timing is a thing on this. That's why I'm a fan of taking a lot of tests. You got to get used to the wording. You got to get used to just taking this and not overthinking. There's going to be some long ass freaking questions. Okay. Some of these things are going to be paragraphs. You got to get yourself down to reading them or even marking them for review and coming back to them later to get through the entire exam. I'm not saying you have to rush, but you can't just take your time. You will feel crunched. If you finish with 15 minutes left on the exam, that's actually good. On the other exam, 15 minutes, you're panicking here. Since it's under 100 questions, it's not as big a deal. That gap of having enough time is not going to be as big. And you want to make sure that when you're going over the wrong answers, you got them right or wrong for the right reason. Because sometimes... You get them wrong because you can't follow the question. And that's less bothersome than if you're reading, oh, wow, I didn't know what the hell that meant. So you want to make sure that you're getting the ones right for the right reason, not guessing, and getting the wrong ones that you understand why you got the wrong ones. So let's get into the definitions a little bit. So one of the things, I mean, since the whole test is the blue sky exam, it's a state exam. And again, you only have to take it once. You don't have to take it for every state. Um, what is a state? A state is, well, sadly, a state, a commonwealth, a... Um, any kind of property of the U.S., District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, American Samoa, Guam, all of these are territories of the U.S. or states. It's like a circular definition, but that is a state when we talk about states. Okay, what's a person? A person is any legal entity, and it's actually easier to come up with what's not a person. 
But it's I'm saying is anything that can sign a contract, a corporation, an unincorporated corporation, business, a, a state, a city, a human being, a natural person, a church, anything that can sign a contract is a person. Very broad definition. But there's legal person and then there's natural person. A legal person is a corporation and stuff like that. Businesses, churches, stuff like that. A natural person is a human being. Individual. You got to know the difference because they may say the word individual, but remember the word person covers everything. They could say a person who does this. That could be either a broker dealer or an IA or even an agent or an IAR. You have to look for more context in that. But I remember what's not a person. Dead, dumb, don't touch. Okay. So a dead person is not a person, obviously, because so I shouldn't use the word person. A dead individual is not a person. And incapacitated. So incapacitated means they're mentally capacitated. They're not allowed to make decisions. But court order, usually a court has said they, they're not capable of making decisions. They're not considered a person. Yes, do you have to take care of them? Of course you do. But they're not legally allowed to sign a contract. And then don't touch under 18. That's self-explanatory. Dead, dumb, don't touch. That's the way I remember it. A little offensive, but it is what it is. It's going to make you remember. So a person is any legal entity, whether it's individual or an, a person, like a firm, that can sign a contract. But what's not a what not a person, I'm stuttering like crazy. If I keep stuttering, have a stroke, I may become an unperson. Um, dead, dumb, don't touch. If they're dead, incapacitated, or under 18, they are not a person. They cannot sign contracts. They cannot open an account. Now, a security, okay? I remember once I was telling some friend of mine that I worked at a security firm, a securities firm, and he thought I worked as a security guard. I think it's very funny. But he's then so he saw me on the sock agent and goes, wait, what are you doing here? I said, yeah, I work at a securities firm. I thought you worked for security. Stupid, stupid story. But um, a security, what we know, stocks, bonds, options, variable annuities, stuff like that. So really the rule under the Howey test, which I doubt they'll ever ask you is, it's an investment of money in a common enterprise with other people for profit managed by someone else. So that's why stocks and bonds. And that's why there's a big fight over whether crypto, certain cryptos are considered securities. Some are considered non-securities and more futures. So it, that's why the SEC is determining whether SEC and the NFA are trying to determine, I guess the CFTC, are trying to determine whether Bitcoin and all that stuff are securities or make the definition of a security or not. So the security, again, simplified for this exam, it's an investment of money in a common enterprise for profit managed by a third party. So there are words that trigger this, okay? So that's the securities, but there are some words that actually trigger this, okay? So one of them is, if you see the word variable, it's a security. If you see the word option, it's a security. If you see the word interest in, it's a security. If you see the word receipt, it's a security. If you see the word certificate, it's a security. On this exam, if you see one of those five words, it's a security. Now, one of the vendors tries to go, oh, an interest in this, okay? Interest in real estate, that's not it, but the test isn't gonna be that bad again. So I'm gonna repeat this. Option, variable, interest in, receipt, and certificate. Those words on this test will trigger you to say it's a security. Got to think that way. Okay. What's an issuer? Okay. An issuer is someone, whether it's, a, it can't be you or me, it can't be an individual, it's a person, an entity that issues or proposes to issue a security 
to raise money. That's what an issue is. Even if they're not successful at it, they're an issuer. So if you issue a security to raise money or just attempt to do it, you're now an issuer. So like a municipal issuer is someone who issues muni bonds, a bank, and they're exempt. So let's not worry about that. But the point is, um, if you are an issuer, you are trying to issue a security of some sort to raise money, to raise capital. And since we're here, let's talk about issuer transaction versus non-issuer transaction, which is absolutely going to be asked at least once or twice. An issuer transaction is when the actual issuer, whether it's a, the city or the state or the, the corporation or whatever, or the government, whoever's issuing the security going to get it. Like a mutual fund, when you buy shares of a mutual fund, you're buying them from the mutual fund. The mutual fund is receiving the money. So an issuer transaction is when the issuer receives the money from the sale. So when you buy like an IPO or you buy shares of a mutual fund or there's an ESOP plan or some sort of pipe or something where the company is selling part of their either the, this equity or bond or something and they're receiving the money. That's an issuer transaction. A non-issuer transaction is like a trade between people. If you buy a bond from me, it's a, it's a non-issuer transaction. If you go buy shares of Ford on the exchange, Ford's not getting the money, the person who owns the shares. If you buy shares of Tesla, it's not Elon Musk getting it. It's someone else who owns it. And I guess it could be. But the point is, it's not Tesla getting the money. It is another investor. So a non-issuer transaction is a secondary market transaction. So like an example of that would be like if you go on an exchange or over the counter and buy shares of a stock or sell your bond. Or this is one that gets people. If a mutual fund, which I already told you was an issuer transaction, when they trade the securities in their portfolio, so remember, they have a portfolio. I've had a bowl here. The mutual fund has a bunch of stuff in here, securities. When they buy and sell these securities, okay? When they buy and sell the securities in the inside their portfolio, those are non-issuer transactions. Those are secondary market trades. So secondary market is pretty much a non-issuer transaction. Primary means issuer transaction. So if you see IPO or primary or offering, that's most likely an issuer transaction. And that it means the issuer, one who issuing the shares, is getting the money. Okay, I've done these videos, but here we go. A broker-dealer is a firm. Remember, a broker-dealer is a firm that executes transaction. Again, on this test, if you see the word execute transactions, boom, trigger, broker-dealer. You're going right to that, okay? if you And they register with the SEC, FINRA, and any state they do business in. But again, we have videos on that. So a broker-dealer is a firm that executes transactions. So let's run on that track. Let's talk about an investment advisor. An investment advisor is a firm that gives advice, makes recommendations, and charges for it. That's the ABC. Agent, broker, commission is the other thing. We're not talking about that. So it's giving advice as a business for compensation. Brain's dead, right? Okay. So a an investment advisor is a firm that gives advice or recommendations for a fee or for compensation. Both broker-dealers and IAs are firms. And I have this on my 63 cheat sheet. I'll try to put it here to keep it ready, wherever it goes, because I don't know where it's going to go. So I'm going to cover my ass and do both, point to both ways. Or how about down there? Now, <clears throat> what's an agent? An agent is an individual. It is always an individual. Just like a broker-dealer is always an entity. An IA is always an entity, like a firm. An agent is an individual that works for the broker-dealer affecting securities transactions. They would only register at FINRA in the state. So again, a broker-dealer is the firm. The agent works for the firm. Good. An IAR works for the IA. 
An IAR is an individual that gives advice on behalf of an IA. There are exceptions, but I'm giving you the definitions. So an IA is the firm. The IAR is the individual that works for the firm. And they register only on the state level if they have to at all. So again, broker-dealers register SEC, FINRA, and the state. IAs are the firm that gives advice. They only register SEC or state, never both. Agents work for the broker-dealer. They register FINRA and any state they do business in. And then an IAR works for the IA, and they only register in the state where they do business. I like to add this one as an aside, not in the main thing. There's a person, an individual person, who is considered an agent of the issuer. So agent is usually of a broker-dealer. But if the agent works for the issuer, go back if you don't remember what an issuer is. An issuer is is a firm that issues shares or bonds or something to raise money. So if you work for the actual issuer, okay, if you work for the issuer, not the broker dealer, not anyone else, you work for the issuer, you are considered an agent of the issuer and you may be exempt or not depending on certain rules, which, which I've covered in other videos. So again, an agent, usually an agent means agent of a broker dealer and they have to register all that crap. An agent of an issuer means they work for the issuer, not the broker dealer. Okay. They work for the they work for the issuer only. And they may or may not have to register depending on whether it's exempt or not, but that's covered later. Okay, an administrator. The administrator is the regulator for the state. Each state has their own regulator. Okay. Each state has their own regulator. They have jurisdiction in their state. They're like the king of the state. They can they enforce the rules that their the, the state Congress has set up. Each state has different rules, different requirements, and stuff like that. Like some consider an institution one thing or not, but the administrator's job is to enforce and regulate that in their state. They can investigate outside the state, but pretty much their jurisdiction is in their own state. The USA, 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 or otherwise known as the Uniform Securities Act, which is weird, is the template for all the states to use. So when I think of the USA, I don't think of, oh, it's a law, it's a state laws that every state has to follow. I think of it as a bunch of laws sitting up here and each state goes, oh, I'll take that one and that one and that one. I like that one. Oh, I'm not going to do that. So it's a template. The states don't have to follow every law in there, but they can if they want and they can pick which ones they want to bring up. Now, but with anyone who participates in this, they allow, if you pass the 63 or the 66 or the 65, the states allow will say, okay, that shows you have enough knowledge to be registered in a state. You won't have to take a specific one for each state, unlike, again, like life insurance and health insurance. You have to take one for every state. We kind of created a template, and they said, you can use that. And then if you do that, if you participate, then the person only has to, the person taking the exam and passing it will only have to do that once, and then they're considered qualified to register in the state. So if you see the word USA or NASA, NASA is the I guess is the arm, the ones who write, the, the ones who wrote the exam. They don't enforce, you don't register them. They literally just wrote the rules, okay? They don't enforce, they don't regulate, they don't do anything. They write the rules, they give the information, they tell you what's going on, and then the states, and they enforce, they administer the exam in a way. They really let Finner do it, but they they enforce it. So if, like, if you are disputing it, you reach out to NASA, not to the various states. So again, the states have their own, they enforce their own shit, but the administrator, the USA is a template, and NASAA, is, I'm not even trying to say, I always screw up what they stand for, National Association of Securities, blah, blah, blah. Now, State Securities Administrators Association, maybe. So NASA writes the test. They, they're they the ones who administer it in a way. The USA is the list of rules that you have to follow or that each state has to grab from and take. Remember, no, I don't think any state took on every law. They take on whatever they think their, their state Congress 
want to take on what they think is relevant to their state. So, so in reality, the various states have various different laws. I mean, you could, from one state to another, it's a it could be a big difference. And again, the administrator enforces the state laws. The blue the blues. I was trying. I was saying state laws and was thinking blue sky at the same time. The blue sky laws for their state, they enforce and regulate that. Just so you don't think I'm a total idiot, it's North American Securities Administration Administrators Association or something like that. It's not national. It's North American. So whatever it is, right? Pretty much, if you see a year after, it's not 100 right because the USA was written in '56. So if they throw that at you. Remember, USA state, not federal, right? But if you say Uniform Securities Act of 1956, that's the only one of the year that's a state law. But if you think, if you see the word, if you see a year, I always want you to think federal. So Act of 30, 1933 is about regulating new issues. That's a primary market. Act of 34 is a secondary market. Act of 1934 is secondary market, fraud, SEC, all that shit. Act of 1939 is for corporate non-exempt bonds. The Investment Advisors Act of 40 regulates federally covered advisors. Federally covered advisors are ones registered with the SEC. State So federal covered advisors registered with the SEC, they follow the Investment Advisors Act of 40. State-level advisors register with the various states, and they don't follow the Investment Advisors Act of 40. Then we have the Investment Company Act of 40. What were they thinking? Literally two examples. Two names of laws that every word's the same except for one you don't think 80 years later people get confused so the investment advisors act is for investment advisors the investment company act is for investment companies if you've seen my other exams fum face amount certificates unit investment trust management companies what are management companies open end closed end mutual fund stuff like that those are all regulated under the investment company act of 1940. NISMIA, okay, the NISM, the National Securities Market Improvement Act of 1996, that clearly defined the rules and the uh, all the rules between state and federal. Because when I first took it in '89, um, it was a little, it, there was a lot of fuzziness and it wasn't pure, right? So they've really cleared it out and they made clear what state rules, what's federal rules, and if they both conflict, pretty much always the Fed takes precedence. Like the state administrators cannot put higher restrictions on a broker dealer than the sec does because the sec they're registered there they follow those rules the states can't make higher more restrictive provisions and then the dodd frank act is just a wall street reform and consumer protection act i don't think they're, they're not going to go heavy into that the first 33 you will not have to know basically 34 you have to know 40 yeah, advisors act of 40 you got to know the investment company act of 40 you should know already because of the six or the seven Oh, and 1092, okay, the SEC 1092, that clearly defined, they added a few things that are considered advisors now when they weren't. So like talent agents, because if you ever watch like um, Jerry Maguire, right, he's a talent agent. And if they're running their money too, they have to be held to fiduciary standards. Just look at Mike Tyson, who pretty much got ripped off by his agents or his manager. So this would, wouldn't prevent it, but it make that person get in trouble. Pension plan, uh, pen, pension consultants of more than 200 million now become advisors. And financial planners have to become had to become advisors. This is a long time ago in the '90s, so it's 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 full on in. But those are the three things that they added to the list of investment advisors that are regulated: talent or sports agents, financial planners, and pension consultants for more than 200 million. Okay, so that's a good overview of the big definitions. We'll do more later as we go along, but that's a great start to the definitions. So again, what are you going to do? You're going to start reading, get through the whole book, then go back and start doing quizzes. Anything under 75, you're going to reread. 
I think I said 70 before, but I'm up in the bar because I know you can do it. 75 or lower, reread or watch a video on it, and then go take another quiz. And then once you're done with all the chapter quizzes, start taking finals every day, at least once a day, maybe two a day. Don't do three. Even if your boss says do three a day, that's fucking nuts. Don't do that, okay? Guys, thank you very much. Don't forget to join my live every Tuesday and Thursday. And let's get on this, baby. Let's pass this bitch.